0: This morning, as we return to our study of the Gospel of Luke, we have come to a brand new chapter. We have come to chapter 6. And the first incident that Luke tells us about in this chapter is a conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees over their view, the Pharisees' view, that the Lord and His disciples were violating God's law by working on the Sabbath. Here's what Luke tells us happened chapter 6 verses 1 through 5. Now it happened that he was passing through some grain fields on a sabbath and his disciples were picking the heads of grain rubbing them in their hands and eating the grain but some of the pharisees said why do you do what is not lawful on the sabbath and Jesus answering them said have you not even read what David did when he was hungry He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for any to eat except the priests alone, and gave it to his companions. And he was saying to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now I know that it has been quite some time since we have studied luke's gospel so i want to remind you that starting in the previous chapter chapter 5 we learned that the pharisees the leading and most influential jewish religious group in israel at that time upon hearing what jesus was actually saying what he was teaching and seeing what he was actually doing they started to oppose him they started to resist him First, they criticized him for speaking what they thought was blasphemy when he told the paralyzed man whose friends had lowered him from the roof into a house where the Lord was teaching that his sins were forgiven. They said, It's blasphemy. Only God can forgive. And they were right. Not that it was blasphemy, they were right. God can only forgive, and God did forgive. Jesus is God. Next, they condemned the Lord for eating and drinking with sinful people at the newly converted Levi or Matthew's house and for not following their custom of fasting frequently. Now, I want you to notice how Jesus ended his teaching about why he and his disciples did not fast like the Pharisees did. They fasted twice a week. Luke chapter 5, verses 37-38. And no one, Jesus said, puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled out and the skins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. Now, listen, the reason that Jesus said that you can't put new wine in old wineskins is because wineskins back then were made from animal hides hides that eventually became dry and and brittle. So if you put new wine into old animal brittle skins, the fermenting new wine would expand and they would cause the skins to burst and then you would lose the wine. And that's why Jesus said put the new wine into fresh wineskins because the fresh wineskins would still be pliable enough to expand during the process of the new wine fermenting. Now There is a reason Jesus said this. He wasn't simply giving a lesson about wine and wineskins. The point that the Lord was making by this illustration concerning new wine and old wineskins is theological. He was talking to the Pharisees and he wanted the Pharisees to understand that the reason that he and his disciples didn't follow the custom of fasting often like they did, is because he didn't come to put new life, his life, gospel life, into their old, worn out, man-made religious traditions and rituals that controlled them and the people who followed them. That's his point. That is to say Jesus came to set men free from the burdensome and oppressive traditions of the Pharisees imposed on the people by calling people to follow him and the truths that he taught. That's precisely why Luke, as he moves from what we call chapter 5 into chapter 6, he continues along the same line of thinking, the same, the same thought by telling us about the conflict between the Pharisees and Jesus over what they, the Pharisees, interpreted to be a breaking of the Sabbath law, which forbid doing work on that day. You see, the story illustrated exactly what Jesus was talking about concerning the old worn out traditions of the Pharisees and the need for people to have a fresh new life of following Him as Lord by believing and adhering to what He taught because He, in contrast to the Pharisees, taught God's truth as it was intended to be taught. But in doing so, I want you to understand that this is a pivotal point in the Gospel of Luke because what was once just a minor opposition, minor resistance by the Pharisees, once this conflict happens, it's now going to escalate into full blown antagonism against Jesus. It'll erupt into such rage, such contempt, such disdain towards him that from this point on in the Gospel, Of Luke, we'll see nothing but open hostility from the Pharisees that will eventually result in them putting Christ to death by the hands of the Roman government. In fact, in Matthew and Mark's parallel account of this same incident, they both say that it was this particular Sabbath day law conflict where the plot to murder Jesus was first born. Matthew, Matthew 12, verse 14 says this, but the Pharisees went out and conspired against him as to how they might destroy him. It was because of this conflict that we're about to study that that's where they made that decision. And the reason, folks, for such rage against Jesus over the observance of the Sabbath is because the Pharisees prided themselves as those who championed the meticulous observance of the law of Moses and in particular the law about keeping the Sabbath day holy, which as I said, meant no work was to be done on that particular day. Understand this, at the heart of all of this, of the Pharisees' effort to earn their salvation, and that's what this is all about, that was their system, a good works merit before God, at the heart of the Pharisees' effort to earn salvation by their good deeds was their attempt to keep the Sabbath, which was, as one Bible teacher put it, the anchor of first-century Judaism. And that's why at the heart of so much of the Pharisees' opposition towards Jesus were these conflicts about how he observed the Sabbath. And that's exactly what the story before us is about. It's about the Pharisees accusing Jesus and his disciples of breaking the Sabbath law by working. Listen closely though. Because Luke's purpose in telling us about this conflict, it isn't simply to inform us that Jesus did not break the Sabbath. But rather, Luke's primary purpose is to reveal Jesus is more than a man. He is Lord of the Sabbath. He's the one who as God instituted the Sabbath and the Sabbath law. And as Lord of the Sabbath, He's going to explain to us, as only God could, the original and the divine intention of this Sabbath day law. As He, the one who actually gave this law, meant it to be understood. So, as the passage unfolds, what we're going to see today and next Sunday are several arguments that Jesus gave to explain to the Pharisees what he and his disciples' actions on the Sabbath day, what they were, perfectly lawful. And just so we see the fullness, I want you to see the full picture of our Lord's teaching on this subject. I'm going to bring in Mark's account and Matthew's account of what Jesus actually said on this occasion. So, this is our background. We're now ready to see the various arguments Jesus gave to prove that he and his disciples' actions were lawful. With his first argument being that, number one, the Sabbath law was never intended to hinder man's welfare. The Sabbath law was never intended by God to hinder man's welfare. So, we break in at verse one. Now, it happened that he was passing through some grain fields on a Sabbath. And his disciples were picking the heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands, and eating the grain. Now Luke begins by telling us that on a certain Sabbath day, which you know that means it was Saturday, Jesus and his disciples were passing through some grain fields, most likely fields of wheat or barley. Now Matthew, in his account of this incident, he tells us that while walking through these grain fields, the disciples became hungry so they began to pick some of the heads of grain then they rubbed them in their hands to separate the kernels from the chaff and then they just ate them now at what point during our lord's ministry this incident took place we're not told nor are we told where this incident took place most likely it took place in somewhere in galilee during springtime or summer since the grain was ripe and therefore could be eaten but several things are important to keep in mind if we are to understand what's going on here and not misunderstand first of all we need to understand that Jesus and his men were not trespassing on anyone's land fields back then were were not fenced off as they are today but were separated by stones that were used to identify the boundaries of someone's property So that's important to keep in mind. The roads also of that day were really just wide paths that often passed right through grain fields. So it was not something out of the ordinary for Jesus and his disciples to be walking through someone's field. This probably took place many times. Secondly, although it may seem strange to us that Jesus and his disciples took grain from another person's field, this wasn't stealing. And the reason that it wasn't stealing is because God established a law in the Old Testament that gave hungry travelers the right to pick and eat grain from the edges of someone's field. We read this in Deuteronomy 23 verse 25. When you enter your neighbor's standing grain, then you may pluck the heads with your hand, but you shall not wield a sickle in your neighbor's standing grain. According to this law, it was perfectly acceptable to eat someone else's grain to satisfy your hunger. But hunger was the only reason that you were to take from someone else's grain. You were not to take advantage of your neighbor's generosity by reaping his harvest for profit. In other words, you were just to take what you needed, but only what you needed, and then you just moved on. That is to say, you weren't allowed to stand there and use an instrument to harvest a man's field. You were not to say, back up the cart boys and let's fill it with all we can and move out. The intent was simply, if you're hungry, you could take. But that was it. So what Jesus and his disciples were doing was certainly within the parameters of the Mosaic law. They were hungry, so they did what the law of Moses allowed them to do. They picked some heads of grain and they ate them. However, there were some Pharisees around who saw the disciples do this and that's when the conflict arose. And as Luke proceeds to tell us what happened next, he says in verse 2, but some of the Pharisees said, why do you do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Now, in spite of the fact that Jesus and his disciples were doing nothing wrong. What bothered the Pharisees was that this activity occurred on the Sabbath, on Saturday, because they believed that in picking the grain, rubbing it in their hands, and then eating it, that, they said, constitutes work. In other words, they viewed the actions of the disciples as harvesting and preparing a meal. And this meant that they were laboring on the Sabbath. And the law said that no work should be done on that particular day. Now this may not sound like a big deal to you. But correct Sabbath observance meant everything to the Jewish people in Christ day, and it still does to observant religious Jewish people today. In fact, whenever I read about Jesus having a conflict with the Pharisees over Sabbath day activities, I tend to think back to one of my childhood experiences that illustrates just how ridiculous, absurd, Sabbath day legalism can become. At the age of 13 is the time when a Jewish boy goes through a religious ceremony called a bar mitzvah, in which he officially is considered a man, and therefore he is now looked upon as being accountable and responsible to God. Now, Jewish boys in America normally celebrate their bar mitzvah on Saturday, that's the Sabbath, because in our culture, that's the day when most people are off from work and school, and so they are free to attend this event, this ceremony. But because my father's parents, my grandparents on my dad's side, were Orthodox religious Jews, and therefore they strictly observed the Sabbath, they refused to attend a bar mitzvah on a Saturday, even their own grandsons. Why? Because they would have to have taken a ride in a car that day. Not drive the car, mind you. They would have to ride in the car and they considered that work. And since no work was to be done on the Sabbath, they couldn't come to a Saturday bar mitzvah but since it would be highly inappropriate and improper to have a bar mitzvah without one's grandparents, even though it was a great inconvenience to for many people, my parents decided to have my bar mitzvah changed to a Monday. I think I'm the only Jewish young man in America who has ever had his bar mitzvah on Monday. Now... Would it have been a violation of the law of the Sabbath for my grandparents to ride, mind you, not drive, ride in a car on Saturday? Would this have constituted work? Was the principle behind the Sabbath law intended to prohibit all traveling on Saturdays? Of course not. The law of Moses never forbid anything like this it simply told the Jewish people to take a day off from their normal and that's the key normal daily labors in order to rest and to refresh themselves why then did my grandparents think that riding in a car was work I mean they were just sitting there why do they think it was work and that they would be breaking the Sabbath if they if they did this Because my grandparents, like all Orthodox Jewish people, were products of a religious system that went back to the Pharisees of Christ's day. It was and still is a system filled with rules, regulations, and human traditions that they are told is intended to help them obey the law of Moses. But listen, these rules were not helpful at all. They weren't helpful in our Lord's day, and they aren't helpful to anyone today because these rules went way beyond the teaching of the Bible. And so they became binding, note this, misapplications of Scripture, oppressive. Man-made traditions that place so many restrictions upon the people that the true intent of God's law eventually became lost. It became obscured. And so, instead of obeying God's law out of faith and love for Him, which is what the Bible calls His people to do, the heart, the core, the substance of Judaism became nothing more than heavy religious burdens that made life miserable. For the people and, and that 's precisely why in matthew 's account of this incident, he proceeded to tell us before this story he tells us that Jesus said something that led into this story. Jesus invited all who were weary and heavy laden to come to him that 's the context before our Lord knew that this conflict would arise. He said these words in matthew eleven twenty eight Through thirty, Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. He's talking about the weariness and the, the heaviness that comes from the burdens of trying to keep these silly traditions. Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and humble in heart and you'll find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. What he's saying is that my burden is not burdensome like the Pharisees. My yoke, it's easy. My burden is light. Theirs is oppressive. Our Lord made it clear that the Pharisees had imposed upon the Jewish people a slew of religious burdens that no one could possibly keep. And the biggest religious burden of them all was the burden of this massive amount of unreasonable Sabbath day regulations. And why did they do this? Listen closely. The Old Testament law of the Sabbath, which is the fourth of the Ten Commandments, simply states, and this is all it states six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God, in it you shall not do any work. Now, the Hebrew word for Sabbath is Shabbat, and that word means to rest or to cease. In other words, the people were to cease from their activities. But the point of this law wasn't to say that the Jewish people were to cease or refrain from all activities as if they couldn't do anything on the Sabbath but just sit there. The purpose of this commandment was to give the people a break from their normal workday labors, their daily vocational occupational work. In other words, God out of his compassionate, merciful heart, gave everyone one day off a week so that they could get some rest from their daily jobs, their daily responsibilities. Folks, that's that's the whole thing with the Sabbath. But watch this, because the Jewish rabbis felt it was their responsibility to help the people obey this law because, as I mentioned earlier, Sabbath-keeping was at the heart of their attempt to earn their salvation. So you want to get this right. And so they took it upon themselves to add all kinds of regulations and restrictions concerning the keeping of the Sabbath just to make sure this law was carried out. I mean, after all, your whole salvation depended upon this. So they wanted to get it right. As a result though, what they did was take this day, which as I said, it was simply intended by God to be a time of rest and refreshment. They turned it then into an incredible burden, oppressive burden for the people of God by adding an enormous amount of man-invented Sabbath day rules and restrictions. As one Bible teacher noted, he said, because of the thousands of man-made restrictions regarding it, the Sabbath was more tiresome than the six days devoted to one's occupation. He said it was harder to rest than to earn a living. He's absolutely right. It was just exhausting, just trying to learn all these rules, let alone keep them. So, how exhausting were these oppressive Sabbath day rules? Well, in the ancient sacred writings of the rabbis, known as the Talmud, There are actually, get this, actually 24 chapters, not pages, chapters solely devoted to Sabbath regulations and rules. Did you get that? 24 chapters. That is to say, these 24 chapters told the Jewish people what activities they were permitted to do on the Sabbath and what activities they were forbidden to do on the Sabbath. In fact, these rules went into such uh, detail, so much minutia, that it is said that one rabbi actually spent two and a half years Studying just one of these 24 chapters on Sabbath day regulations. I mean, you can't even make this stuff up. It's so incredible. I want to give you a taste of just how silly and oppressive and restrictive, restrictive these rules were. Based on the research of Dr. Alfred Edersheim, who you may know was a Hebrew Christian scholar in the who lived in the 1800s, he wrote a massive but wonderful two-volume book called The life and times of Jesus the Messiah. Based on his research, John MacArthur in his commentary on Luke writes this Traveling more than 3,000 feet from home was forbidden. But if one had placed food at the 3,000 foot point before the Sabbath, that point would then be considered a home since there was food there and allow another 3,000 feet of travel. Similarly, A piece of wood or a rope placed across the end of a narrow street or alley constituted a doorway. That could then be considered the front door of one's house and permit the 3,000 feet of travel to begin there. There were also regulations about carrying items. Something lifted up in a public place could only be set down in a private place and vice versa. An object tossed into the air could be caught with the same hand, but if it was caught with the other hand, it would be a Sabbath violation. It was forbidden to carry anything heavier than a dried fig, though something weighing half as much could be carried two times. A tailor could not carry his needle, a scribe his pen, or a student his books. In addition, no fire could be lit or put out. Cold water could be poured into warm water, but not warm into cold. An egg could not be cooked, not even by placing it in hot sand during the summer. Nothing could be sold or bought. Bathing was forbidden, lest water be spilled on the floor and wash it. Moving a chair was not allowed, since it might make a rut in a dirt floor, which was too much like plowing. See, that would be work. And ladies, you'll love this. Women were forbidden to look in a mirror, lest if they saw a white hair, they might be tempted to pull it out. You know how much work is involved in that. And folks, that's just a sampling. Remember, I told you it went on for 24 chapters. That's just a sampling. There are many more ludicrous and bizarre and absurd regulations that the rabbis imposed upon the people. And as a result, as I've said, and I want to emphasize, the Sabbath day had become an oppressive and suffocating weight because the people were in bondage to a tyrannical man-made religious system. Really, as I said a few minutes ago, it took more work just to figure out all these petty Sabbath rules and regulations than it would have been just to do a normal day's work. And one of those petty little rules that the rabbis came up with was that you could not pick grain, rub your hands together in order to separate the grain from the chaff on the Sabbath because that they believed would constitute the work of harvesting and preparing a meal. And that's why the Pharisees accused the Lord's disciples of violating God's law. Now they came to him because he was in charge of them. But they're really accusing the disciples as well as Jesus of breaking the law because they saw his men do this on the Sabbath. Now before we look at our Lord's response to the Pharisees' accusations, I want you to see just how important this this issue is to us today, because if we're not careful, we can easily dismiss the Sabbath day legalism of the Pharisees as just some archaic, irrelevant first century issue that doesn't affect us anymore because we don't live under that system. In fact, we don't even have anyone named Pharisee today. However, it is true, even though we don't live under first century in first century Israel, the oppressive legalism of Jewish Sabbath day thinking, I want you to know it's still with us. And so the issue is quite relevant for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's relevant because there are plenty of believers in Christ today who consider Sunday to be the Christian's Sabbath. It's really not, but they consider it to be the Christian Sabbath. And as a result, they've come up with all kinds of rules and restrictions governing how this day should be lived out. Now I realize that those of you under the age perhaps of 50 probably cannot relate to what I'm about to tell you because in recent years Christians have gone the opposite extreme by putting no restrictions on what activities they do on a Sunday. Some not hesitating to miss church in order to go to one of their children's sporting events or do some other family activity. To them Sunday isn't a day set aside for corporate worship in church. It's just another day off, another day in the week, so that they feel free to do whatever activity they want to do. However, that wasn't always the case. It wasn't that many years ago that Christians in our culture believed that it was wrong to do certain activities on a Sunday. For example, before entering the ministry, I worked for... A little bit in a department store in our area with a christian man who said that he would never work on a sunday he told me that when we were looking to see what our schedules would be he said i'm not working on a sunday because it's the sabbath and we're not to work on the sabbath and that's it when michelle and i were students at bible college at moody bible institute in the early 70s the school had a rule that no laundry was ever to be done on sunday And there have been many Christians who didn't think it was right to go or to even watch any sporting event on television on a Sunday. In the past, I've told you about an older couple in our church who objected to the fact that I ran marathon races on Sundays. So far from being an outdated, irrelevant issue that affected our Lord's first century jewish disciples and only them this really is a a relevant issue that affects many believers today especially older christians therefore we need to listen closely we need to understand what jesus taught about the behavior of his disciples on the sabbath because these truths have important implications for us secondly this issue is quite important for us to understand because as believers in christ we have a tendency to do exactly what the pharisees did that is take a broad and general principle of scripture like ceasing from your normal occupational work on saturday which seems simple enough to understand and obey but then then expanding it into scores of detailed hair-splitting applications to fit every and any occasion of life. And these hair-splitting applications, they're not biblical. They're not biblical at all. But they become so ingrained in our thinking that we forget what was the original intent and purpose of that particular truth Of God's word. And these human traditions then become our authority. Not the word of God. But these man-made rules and traditions. Now, if you don't think that Christians can be guilty of doing this, then consider the following. The Bible lays down the broad principle, for example, that as God's people we should be holy and not like the world. Scripture says, be holy for I am holy. Be not conformed to this world. Love not the world, neither the things of the world. So, scripture is very clear that as God's people, we are to be different from the non Christians by living lives of holiness, lives of of purity. But how do we apply this broad principle? Well, there are many verses in scripture that tell us exactly how to behave in a holy manner. There are many throughout the New Testament in particular. How to behave in this situation, that situation. Attitudes, actions, behavior, speech. However, there are many Christians who go beyond these truths of Scripture and are only too happy to tell us exactly how to apply this principle of holiness to our lives in all different occasions because they've come up with a number of rules and restrictions about what they feel is entailed in being holy and not worldly. Now, once again, I realize that some of the examples that I'm about to share are outdated, but they are still the thinking of many Christians, and they reveal how pharisaical we can actually become. For example, I remember years ago one female soloist in our church being told, by a man in our church that it was absolutely wrong for her to hold the microphone as she sang too close to her mouth. Why? Because that was a worldly thing to do. Hollywood entertainers do that. So she should not do that. Folks, that's just stupid. (laughs) Hollywood entertainers use a fork and, and knife and a spoon to eat too. I mean, that's just silly. Another man made Christian rule about holy behavior is that some have considered it wrong for women to wear pants in church because once again they considered it worldly. In fact, I recall a guest speaker at Lakeside upon meeting my wife Michelle, who was wearing at that time not pants but a jeans skirt. And this man looked at her and exclaimed, Jeans on Sunday? I thought, what nerve? You're a guest here, even if you thought that. But that was the thinking. And on and on it goes. Folks, these non-biblical and nonsensical rules are no different in principle from what the Pharisees did with the Sabbath law. They blurred the original purpose of a precious biblical truth by their traditions and they made their traditions the marks of obedience to God and that's precisely why they accused Jesus and his disciples of violating the Sabbath because they no longer understood the divine purpose of the law and so Jesus proceeded to explain it to them verses three and four And Jesus, answering them, said, Have you not even read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for any to eat except the priests alone, and gave it to his companions. Now the Pharisees had charged Christ and his men with breaking God's law because out of hunger they picked and ate some food on the Sabbath, which they considered... To be work. And so Jesus now takes them back to an Old Testament story that we're all familiar with. A story found in 1 Samuel chapter 21 about David and his men who when they were hungry actually did break God's law. A ceremonial law in order to sustain their, their lives physically. Now, consider carefully what our Lord said to these men, to the Pharisees. Have you not read... What David did when he became hungry, he and his companions. Instead of arguing with them as we are so prone to do and argue in answering unbelievers, the Lord didn't do that. He did what we should do. He took them to the word of God. That's the authority. By asking them a question, he said, have you not read? Meaning, have you not read this account of David and his men in your Bibles? Now, why would he say such a thing? Of course they had read the story in Scripture. He knew that. Every Jewish person back then was familiar with the Scriptures and knew about this incident in David's lives. And remember, these were the Pharisees. These were the religious authorities of the, of the Jewish nation. These were the men who prided themselves on knowing and understanding The Word of God. Of course, they had read many times the Old Testament and they were very familiar with this incident of David and his men being hungry and and eating. Then why did Jesus ask them if he knew they? They had read this. Listen, by asking this question, the Lord was not suggesting that they didn't know the story in the Bible. Of course He knew they, they knew this. What He was saying is, you don't understand its significance. You read it, but you don't get it. In other words, with biting sarcasm, the Lord is saying, don't you scholars who love to tell everybody else the meaning of the Bible, don't you understand the real significance of this story? So, what was the real significance of this incident in David's life that the Pharisees missed? Notice once again, verse 4. Speaking of David, Jesus said how he entered the house of God, he took he ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for any to eat except the priests alone, and he gave it to his companions. Now, this particular story, as I said, found in 1 Samuel 21, it tells us that while David and his men were running from King Saul, they came to the place where the tabernacle stood. The temple had not been built yet. The tabernacle stood there, and David asked the priest there for some food because he and his men had nothing to eat, and they were just famished. But the only food that was available was bread called consecrated bread. Now this consecrated bread consisted of 12 loaves of bread representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And it was placed on a table in the tabernacle signifying God's fellowship with the tribes of Israel and the fact that they were dedicated or consecrated to him. According to Leviticus 24, verses 5 through 9, this bread was baked weekly. And note this, could be eaten only by the priests. But on this occasion, on this occasion, we read that the priest gave this sacred consecrated bread to David and to his men to eat. And you know what? God didn't punish the priest. God didn't condemn the priest or David or his men For eating this bread. Even though their action actually broke this ceremonial law. Now listen closely. The point that the Lord is making in bringing up this story about David. Is to show that if God allowed one of his ceremonial laws to be broken for the welfare of David and his men, then certainly he would allow Jesus and his men to break a foolish man-made Sabbath tradition. You see, what the Pharisees had lost sight of, as do many Christians, who center their lives around inflexible rules and regulations, is that all rules should be, note this, for the benefit and not the hindrance of someone's welfare. Even the law of keeping the Sabbath It was given, folks, to help people, not harm them. This is brought out very clearly in Mark's account of Christ's conflict with the Pharisees. Here's what Mark records Jesus saying. Mark 2, verse 27. The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. What Jesus is saying is that he, as God, he instituted the concept of a Sabbath rest for man's welfare, not to oppress anyone. In other words, the Sabbath law was intended to serve man by just giving him a day off a week, not putting him under bondage to keep a code of unbending rules and traditions. Now folks, question is, how do we apply this truth to our lives? How do we allow this truth to affect the way we think, the way we live. It's really very simple. There's no question that rules, laws, policies are important because they give us some structure. They give us boundaries and that's important. However, unless those laws are moral in nature, which means that they are moral absolutes that are always to be obeyed without exception, We need to keep in mind that our rules can have some flexibility. In other words, we need to make sure that our rules serve people and are in their best interest rather than function as oppressive masters. You see, rules should always be established with the best interest of others in mind. And that means that there will be times when In the best interest of people, we allow those rules to be bent and not followed in order to meet the needs of people. Now, frankly, this thought of bending the rules to meet the needs of people, it is a foreign concept to many people, especially some Christians who are in positions of authority in their churches, church leaders, who consider breaking one of their policies to be almost the equivalent of breaking a biblical moral absolute. But it's not. It's not at all. Listen, if God could bend on one of His ceremonial laws to make sure that David and his men had food to eat, then church leaders can bend some of their rules to benefit those under their authority. Now, I can already hear some people thinking, but breaking a rule, Steve, that's a compromise. It's a lack of having discipline, a lack of having structure. Listen, all of us should be against compromising biblical truths. And we should certainly be in favor of discipline, structure, orderliness. But being so inflexible, so rigid, that we won't allow any non-moral man-made rule to be broken, it isn't about avoiding compromise at all. It's not about a lack of discipline. You know what this issue really comes down to? It's about showing mercy about being compassionate. That's exactly what Jesus said in the parallel accounts of this incident in Matthew chapter 12, verse 7. Listen to what our Lord said. Speaking to the Pharisees, He said, But if you had known what this means, I desire compassion and not a sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. The innocent meaning He and His disciples. If you had only known that I desire compassion, not a sacrifice of animals... I want you to be merciful. I don't care about your sacrifices. Now we will see more about this next Sunday. But for right now, we need to understand that the point that Jesus was making is that the priest who broke the law, and he did break the law, and by giving David and his men food to eat, he did it because of mercy and compassion, and he did the right thing. He wasn't about to let these men starve to death just because there was a ceremonial rule that limited the eating of consecrated bread to priests. He understood that God wanted him to act out of mercy rather than be bound by ceremonial law. Now, folks, here's what we need to understand. The Pharisees had established their laws and rules, these man-made traditions, that they refused to bend on even for the sake of Jesus Christ and his disciples. They didn't care that they were hungry. Not at all. What did they care? This was nothing but heartless and cold legalism and Jesus condemned it. So let's learn from what our Lord said to the Pharisees. We do not want to be like the Pharisees at all. Whenever our traditions, our rules, our policies become oppressive Burdens, rather than a blessing to others, then we need to evaluate those rules and make sure that mercy and compassion govern us rather than cold and lifeless legalism. Now maybe you've been living under all kinds of oppressive religious rules. Maybe you were raised that way. Uh, Maybe you have believed a lie that Christianity is a set of legalistic do's and don'ts. Here's what you can do. Here's what you can't do. Maybe you've reduced the message of Jesus to that. But it's not that at all. The message of Christ, the gospel, it's a message of mercy. It's a message of grace in which God invites you, a sinner, who deserves eternal wrath and judgment to enter into a warm and loving and personal relationship with him through faith in Christ and his substitutionary death on the cross so that instead of being punished forever, which is what we deserve, you'll live with him forever in the joys of glory, in the joys of heaven, forever and ever, because your sins have been forgiven. Just as he invited the oppressed Jewish people of his day so he invites you to come to him today to experience rest and refreshment for your souls. Listen, Jesus died for sinners so that they don't need to work at earning their salvation. The Pharisees were absolutely wrong and they misled the people. They were wrong. You can't earn your salvation. Salvation is by grace through faith in Christ. You simply rest in him. You you hide in his wounds for you. You trust his salvation, his death, that it was for your sins. And that's the basis and the sole basis of your salvation. So come to him. Find rest for your weary souls. Let him save you by his mercy. He is a merciful God and he invites you to experience his mercy. If you'd like to talk to one of our pastors about this, then just come up and see me as we close the service. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this marvelous passage of Scripture. Lord, as I prayed earlier, I pray now may it penetrate our thinking. May we not be like the Pharisees. May we see the Pharisee in us and turn from it. We can all be unbending and inflexible because there are policies and rules, but help us to love people. Help us to be governed by love and kindness, never compromising your word when there's a moral absolute. But also, Lord, never losing sight of the fact that we minister to people and we care about people. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for your brilliance and how you answered the Pharisees. What an example you are to us to take those who oppose us in the gospel message, to take them to the word of God. It's not our authority. It's yours. And I pray, Lord, that these, these truths we've studied today will penetrate us. I pray for those in our church who might still be caught up in legalistic rules that they think are biblical to see that they're not and to know that Christ has set them free from those rules, those regulations. And I do pray, Lord, draw people to yourself so that some, some might come to Christ and experience his marvelous grace of saving them. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.